Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is February the 19th, 2020. This is episode 2602 of the Survival Podcast. We are back to our regularly scheduled programming. And it's Wednesday, so it's interview day. I have a cool guy on the line, Roger McDowell. He's a former Marine helicopter pilot and went through the U.S. Naval Academy. But now he does homesteading and all kinds of stuff with other folks in the GSP community. And he is uh, uh, raising goats. Not exactly my favorite critter to deal with, but definitely one of my favorite critters to eat. I, I really love goat uh, in that way. I have some issues with goats, and Roger's here to convert me into a true believer about goats with something called kinder goat. And I don't know after this interview that I will be uh, raising goats here at my homestead, but I'm probably closer now than I've ever been before. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. And we'll have Roger on to talk to us all about kinder goats and what exactly that means in just a bit. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is the Free State Project. You can find uh, all the reasons you should be part of the Free State Project at fsp.org forward slash join. I will be speaking at Porkfest at the Free State Project this summer. You can come up there and see me there. It's an amazing week in the uh, mount, the White Mountains of northern New Hampshire. It's just a wonderful time of year to be there with some amazing people. Uh, there's probably no organization that since I've started TSP has been a bigger supporter of me and that I've been a bigger supporter of in return. They're amazing people with the philosophy of liberty in your lifetime. And they have moved to New Hampshire, and they're encouraging more people to do so, to drag New Hampshire, kicking and screaming into the world of liberty. You can be part of it, and you can support them, even if it's not in the cards for you to move to New Hampshire, because what's good for liberty anywhere is good for liberty everywhere. Check them out today. Again, fsp.org forward slash join. Next up, knifekits.com. Hey, look, America is devolving into a society that can't do anything. They really can't. There's a guy, I mean, somebody can do it, but it's probably not the average person. And a big part of that is we have stopped learning and teaching skills, basic skills like what a screwdriver is or how glue works or what a rasp is or a file or how to sharpen a knife or what have you. Well, a great way to start establishing skills in a way that kids will dig, how about making a knife from a knife kit? And don't, if you don't have kids, you can still do this. It's still a great thing to do. In fact, a lot of people start out making a couple kit knives. They end up with a side hustle small business or even a significant side business, and some even become pros. And Knife Kits makes it easy to get started. For your next project, check them out, knifekits.com. Remember, both of these uh, agents, uh, these groups today, guys, have been with us a long time. Free State kind of was a, an organization I worked with early on. Uh, they've just formally become a sponsor. I've actually given them a sponsorship before uh, for a couple of years because I believe in what they're doing so much. We've been working together. I spoke at Liberty Forum the first time in 2012. We're still working with each other today. Knife Kits has been sponsoring the show since 2010. These are long-term dedicated supporters of what we do. So, you know, just give them a little love back. Check them out. Free State Project would love this from you. Okay, let's say you don't have a lot of money to contribute and you're not going to move to New Hampshire, but you still want to support what they're doing. Just share their stuff on Facebook and Twitter. Follow them and retweet and repost their stuff. That alone would be really helpful. All right. This with that, let's get on into today's show. Before I bring Roger on, I want to give you a quote of the day to get us in the right frame of mind. 
Today I feel like we're really, even though we're talking about goats, we're really talking about homesteading. And so I've kind of framed this show with a song that fits that at the end and a quote that kind of talks about one of the missed aspects of homesteading by some people, because it's really not about homesteading. And it's not by a famous homesteader or some famous person from history or anything like that, but of Hollywood actors. I think one of the top good guys out there, he was actually, uh, for a time, the president of the NRA. Uh, he came in after uh, uh, Charlton Heston, Tom Selleck. Now, this is what Tom Selleck said just about working out in the gym and stuff like that. He said, I hate going to the gym. So sweating outdoors sure beats sitting on a stationary bike and staring at my navel. I completely agree, and I think that's one of the great things about homesteading is it keeps you active out of necessity. Now, if you abuse your body, or there's an old saying, you can't outrun a bad diet, um, those are all the case. But if you eat well, take care of yourself, you're producing your own food, and you get outside and move around and sweat, and if you're taking care of animals like we're talking about today, you got to go out there and do some stuff every day. So in the words of Tom Selleck, If you hate going to the gym, get outside and, and sweat. With that, let's bring our special guest on. Our special guest today is Roger McDowell. He's a really awesome dude. He's going to talk to us today about kinder goats. And with that, hey, Roger, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, thanks, Jack. It's good to be here. Hey, we're, we're here to talk today about goats, specifically kinder goats, and we'll get into that in a minute. But just so the audience can connect with you, man, like, Give us a little bit of your background, like take us back, I know you're getting out of school trying to figure out what to do with your life or whatever, and somehow you end up homesteading, farming, what have you. What's the path look like to get you there? Well, it's kind of a, a, an odd path. I grew up on a small family farm in central Kentucky, typical, you know, working class parents. We grew and ate a lot of what we uh, consumed on our own farm. We had a Jersey milk cow, chickens, raised a big garden. And uh, somehow, <clears throat> as I got close to graduation from high school, uh, I applied and was accepted uh, to the U.S. Naval Academy. Didn't know squat about uh, the Navy or the Naval Academy at the time, but uh, it was an eye-opening experience and uh, really enjoyed uh, uh, the Academy. And after I graduated from the Academy, I accepted a, uh, a commission in the U.S. Marine Corps to learn how to fly helicopters. I learned when I was in Navy, I hated ships, so I figured <laughs> if I learned how to fly helicopters, I'd be safe. So as soon as I learned how to fly helicopters, darn if they didn't put me back on a crappy ship. I was going to say, you do know they land those on ships. I guess you do now. <laughs> yeah, I tell you. And, and some of those landings, are, you know, anything you can walk away from is a good landing. But anyway, uh, I spent uh, seven years uh, flying helicopters for the Marine Corps, you know, all over the world, mostly in the uh, uh, deployed in the uh, Mediterranean, uh, and just had our first child and came back home. And just the, the Navy and the Marine Corps are, are fabulous professions for a single guy, but it's just too much time away from home for a family guy. And I treasure my family. We had ended up having three daughters. So I, I resigned my commission, and uh, I, I got into a uh, manufacturing management position, finally moved back to Kentucky, uh, and did some did some gardening and some homesteading, small-type stuff, raised some rabbits, and uh, we, we ended up buying an 87-acre uh, tract of property uh, here in Anderson County, Kentucky, and uh, built a house out here 
And about that time, I was able to retire from my manufacturing management job and just kind of got into uh, homesteading uh, full time. I also have a small part-time engraving business that I did, but uh, I raise uh, Angus crossed with Wagyu beef. Uh, I've got my milk goats. I've got chickens. I've got quail. I've got rabbits. I've got bees. Uh, in fact, I've even raised uh, some tilapia uh, in cages in my pond here on the farm. So kind of got a little bit into it too deep, too much. And that's one of the problems. I, when, on your 2500 uh, episode show, I, I called in to say you're a jerk because between you and YouTube, I'm so busy now, I don't have time to get everything done I'm interested in. God, I understand that, great. man. I understand that. <laughs> it's been great. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Have a lot of fun. Have the freedom to do whatever I want. And uh, uh, I know we're going to talk about goats here. And, and first of all, let me give you a disclaimer. Uh, I'm not a professional goat producer. Uh, I don't have a big herd. I have no formal education in raising goats. Uh, I'm by no means an expert. I've only been doing it. Uh, you know, some people can say, well, I've been doing it for 35 years. Well, I haven't been doing it that long. I've been raising goats for about five years and stumbled upon kinders as I was looking for the, the best uh, breed for homesteading. And they're a multi-purpose breed. And I know that generally multi-purpose breeds are not good for either aspect of what they're designed for. But these little guys, uh, I think for people that are homesteading, these this is the, the perfect uh, breed for them. You know, you might have broken, so all, I, I did some research on them, and you may have broken my formula for if it's good at two things, it excels at neither. Because they do, they, they do seem to, from what I've done with my research, to have broken that. Like, they are an exceptional milk animal, and they are a damn good meat animal. Usually, you get like okay and okay, but exceptional and damn good, that's... That's pretty damn dual purpose. Um, they may be yeah, the uh, yeah, they may be the Saxony of, of goats, I guess. You know, the Saxony duck <laughs> is probably the the closest thing to dual because even though they're not the best leg layer, they're big. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, if I was going to raise uh, meat goats professionally, I probably wouldn't choose Kinders. And if I was going to run a you know three hundred head uh, goat dairy farm, and I was going to focus on uh, milk per volume production, I, I probably wouldn't choose Kinders, but I think most of your audience is probably not into those aspects anyway. They're looking for a, a homestead animal that they can get multi-use multi, multi from and is easy to raise, it's easy to handle, and I think that says a lot about the Kinders. You know, um, my, my thing with this is, and you know, I'm not a professional, I don't do it commercially, whatever, Great. Awesome. That's the best. And and the reason I it came up this morning, I was on one of my hydroponics groups and I was answering some questions. And this lady did this thing. She took like, I don't know if it was an apron or whatever or a, a tool storage thing, but it was like cloth. She hung it up on a wall that got a lot of sun and she put jars in it. She's growing lettuce in jars. She said, do you think this will work? And there was a bunch of people that knew nothing about passive hydroponics at all that only understood pumps and they're crapping on it, whatever, and I'm like, this will work just fine as long as you get enough light. And a guy starts running his mouth. He's a commercial producer. He grows 20,000 plants. He knows more than everybody else. And it's like, 
you are the worst person in the world to get advice for, from for a person at a homestead scale. It would be like getting your advice on how to raise a backyard chicken flock from Tyson or Purdue. Because these yeah. things do not translate. And you're right. Most of our people are not going to have a thousand goats. I, just when I said that, my hair on the back of my neck went up and I freaked out. You know, <laughs> they're, they're not. They're going to have a few animals. They're going to be able to want to produce meat and milk and maybe use them as a grazing ruminant. So I think you're the perfect person to do this. So I'm glad you're here today. But let's start out with my first question. Let me ask you my first question then. Why goats? Because I have a love-hate relationship with goats. I mean, if you raise the goat and I get to eat it, yeah. But I don't know about keeping them. So, I mean, my buddy Nick loves goats. Nicole loves goats. I'm not a fan at some levels of their behavior. So why goats? Well, that's one of the reasons I, I knew you weren't a fan of goats, and, and uh, part of my purpose here today is to change your mind. Okay. First of all, goats are the most consumed red meat in the world. There's more people that eat goat and consume goat milk and milk products than any other animal in the world. There's over 300 distinct breeds. Uh, they cover the... Uh, on every continent, probably except Antarctica, and there's a breed that thrives in just about everywhere. Goat meat is, is there's a lot to be said for it. It's probably the most nutritious red meat you can eat. It's low in calories. And I'll concede right there, it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious, which makes me want to kill every goat I see and eat it. <laughs> meat Go ahead. Is, uh, low in calories, low in fat, uh, low in saturated fat, uh, Fairly high in protein and iron. It just there's it's got a lot going for it, and the goat milk is is a good logical uh, alternative to cow's milk for the same reasons. Uh, you know you can it takes a whole lot less feed and 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 water to raise a goat than it does a cow. And in most cultures in the world, you know um, they don't have the refrigeration and the and the uh, facilities to really handle slaughtering a cow. That's a big event in a mm -hmm. lot of parts of the world. Slaughtering a goat, you know, if you've got a 100-pound goat and you get up with a 60-pound carcass, you know, for a large family or a small village, they can reasonably consume and preserve that uh, and, and not have waste. But, uh, you know, the cattle is kind of a, you know, for, or, you know, first-world countries where they have them processed and, and have freezer space and, and that type of thing. Another thing about uh, goat's milk, people have said, well, it doesn't have it doesn't have uh, the uh, lactose in it. Well, it, it does have lactose in it, but it's the goat's milk itself is so much more digestible. It doesn't st stay in your colon and ferment like uh, like cow's milk. So for people that are lactose intolerant, a lot of times they can drink goat's milk without any without any problems. And in a lot of cases, goat's milk is used as a substitute for, you know, orphaned puppies. I was looking at some YouTube last night. Uh, a couple, they had, uh, they were raising rabbits and they uh, bottle fed their babies that lost their mother with goat's milk and had good results. So lots of good things uh, to talk about for, for meat and, and milk for goats in general. And, uh, one, one thing that, uh, goats, People think they're grazers. They're not. They're they're browsers. Mm -hmm. They're very close. They're very closely related to deer. 
and their ideal diet would be a mixture of uh, of grasses and stems, uh, forbs, uh, weeds. People would people commonly would refer to as weeds. Around here in Central Kentucky, we have the invasive species of the the Japanese honeysuckle, and the goats absolutely love those. And wild blackberries, they they love those. The uh, the the um, I think it's a multiflora uh, rose that grows wild. They love those things. So God bless anything that can it. eat that, because I can't even imagine. The, the multiflora rose is also known as rose or goose, a wild rose or goose, and it looks like it looks like God was like, I need to punish mankind, so I'm going to make this thing. Like it is like hairy, sharp thorns. That's why it's great for like a privacy hedge or something. Like you have somebody you think somebody be sneaking in your window, plant some rose or goose in front of there. Good luck, boys. And I. I, you know, what you're saying makes a lot of sense because it opens up things like fodder trees and stuff like that as long as we control the goats. I just saw a thing at the Mother Earth News Fair that I thought was fantastic. It was called the Sheep Something, but it was for small grazers and ruminants, right? And yeah. it basically had half of it was sheltered in shade. It was a fairly large structure. It was on tires. You could drag it with a tractor, or you could get an option where... It was on a freaking, like a giant Roomba, and it moved itself every so often. But if you combine that with growing fodder trees, and since goats will walk trees down, bring the fodder to the goat, all of a sudden it starts to make a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and, and something else, even if they don't have the fodder trees, it, it's amazing. They love the leaves in the fall. You know, if I have my goats out in the paddock, uh, which is, you know, they've fairly well eaten it down, but... Yeah. If I've got some dry oak leaves that blow in there, mm. it's funny as hell to watch the goats fight over a few dry oak leaves. I mean, oh, they, eat dry they eat them leaves. like potato chips. They eat dried leaves. That's crazy. I remember, like, when I used to hunt, um, the, the one species of maple, I don't remember what it was, in Pennsylvania used to turn yellow instead of orange or whatever. And when I'd watch deer from my tree stand walking through the woods in the fall as the leaves started to come down, they would eat every freaking yellow leaf. It was like... I guess they eat them all, but they were picking like they were like, oh, this is the ice cream of the leaves or something. So you're right; they're a lot like deer, and size wise, they're a lot like deer uh, as well. Which, which is which is very convenient because you know, you know, even in the U.S., a lot of people are intimidated uh, about killing their own beef because you've got oh. you know you got to have the apparatus to hang it, you know, you got to process it, you got to get it frozen. It's an uh, all day uh, job. It's it's a lot of work. I can process a deer and hence a goat in about. Well, if you just want it quartered up, quartered and down and into a cooler, I can do it in about 15 minutes. Yeah, that, that's the point I was getting to is there's so many uh, hunters and, and survivalists out there that think nothing of processing their own deer. If you can process a deer, you can process a goat without any trouble, none whatsoever. And you can basically get the same cut to meat. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's identical. Big. Yeah. Yeah. And they're good, too. A, you, uh, you sent me some sticks, some goat sticks. I'll just tell yeah. you, they're gone. They're, they're, <laughs> they're consumed. They were fantastic. So uh, now we've got why goats, why kinder goats. What does the kinder goat do for us? All right. Well, kinders are a cross between a Nubian. A Nubian goat is a standard-sized dairy goat and an African pygmy buck, which is a miniature-sized meat goat. And you would think that the little bitty bucks, would not be able to service those big does, but uh, they find a way, you know, like what was the uh, the famous quote out of one of the uh, 
Jurassic Park uh, uh, movies, uh, Nature Finds a Way. Yep. Those little those little bucks find a way, and uh, <laughs> you get you get the, uh, the the milk quantities from the Nubians, uh, and you get the meat qual- qualities from the pygmy. And, and something else you get from the pygmy goat is is uh, uh, is an advantage of the uh, the Kinders. Many goats are seasonal breeders only. That you can get them to uh, to breed only between like midsummer and midfall. Uh, but the but the 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 African pygmies are all year breeders. That means you can breed your goats all year. They cycle every twenty one days. So if you're looking. You know, I, I, I kind of breed mine to avoid having them kidding during the coldest part of the year in, in January and February and March because, you know, you got to deal with the cold. you got to worry about keeping your kids warm, and it's miserable being out there sometimes. But the, i got to sneeze. <laughs> the, other advantage, the other advantage is that you can plan your breeding cycle to give you your meat goats and your milk year round or whenever best suits your, uh, your, your, your timing to process them and handle the milk. Gotcha. And my milking, I had my, the dove that I milked last year, she kitted in late March and I milked her until Christmas. Wow. After Christmas. Okay. And, you know, it's not like milking a cow where you're going to get four gallons a day. But it's just me and my wife. Our kids are grown and gone. So I don't need as much milk. You couldn't, deal, you couldn't deal with the milk from a single cow. No way. No. Not unless you're going to open up a, a, a creamery and, and a cheese production facility. And then you're going to work every day, too, just to deal with it. Yeah. But if you get a quart a day, by the time you drink some, and I'll get into this further down, uh, but what all you can do with the milk? But okay. for day is, is probably about perfect. So no, okay, the other the other uh, thing about the kidners is that they're smaller than the Nubians. Smaller stature means you know they they're not as good a, a, a jumper. You don't have to worry as much about them jumping over your fence. And you know people talk about you know goats goats that climb on anything. But I have yet to find one of my goats on the hood of my car. That's not to mean, not to say that I won't go out there one day when the goats are out and find a, uh, a Kinder hood ornament. <laughs> but being a smaller stature, they're easier to contain. They're easier to handle. The uh, let's see, the uh, does are usually 24 to 26 inches at the withers, and the bucks are maybe up to 28. Those are usually about 110, 115 pounds, and the bucks can be upwards of uh, 135. So they're they're smaller, but uh, you know they're they're very uh, productive with their milk, and their milk it has a very high butterfat content, which is important if you're making cheese and and uh, and uh, 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 other yogurt and other products that re- relies on that butterfat and those meat uh, those uh, milk solids to make your product. They're they're very it's very advantageous to do that. But anyway, this breed was 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 first bred uh, just by accident out in the uh, in the northwest. A guy's uh, buck had died. He had some Nubians, and he had a an African pygmy, and just bred the does just to get get them back in milk. And he was so impressed with the offspring 
their their weight gains, their their progress, their gentle attitude, and easy to handle. That uh, he started breeding those, and since then, you know, there was a small people uh, group of people that started to to kind of get into it. They formed the uh, Kindergroup Breeders Association in 1989, and that's kind of how the breed was born. And they have been becoming more and more popular as that breed has has moved east, and now they're uh, they're in several countries. Uh, there's probably at least you know over 3,000 registered kinders you know nationwide. So they're still very small breed by population, but as more and more homesteaders become aware of them and their advantages, they're they're becoming more and more popular. And if somebody if somebody was breeding them, then like you get when you do a cross like that, you get hybrid vigor. Does yeah. that kind of really go away if we start breeding kinders to kinders? Do we need to keep bringing in you know new hybrid Gen One, uh, you know like uh, hybrids to keep this up, or are they moving toward becoming their own breed? Well, there you can do you can do some of both. Okay. Uh, they are moving toward becoming their own breed, but uh, as people uh, select their breeding stock, uh, people generally people are are cognizant of you know this doe has very dairy properties, okay. so I need to breed her to a buck that's got more meaty properties. Gotcha. Uh, so y- y- it's like any other breeding program. You want to breed out your problems, and, you know, and breed in the, the characteristics that you want to have them continue with. Gotcha. gotcha. All right. So, like I said, Kinders are a you know they're a niche breed. Uh, they're not right for everybody. Uh, already talked about the fact that they're year-round breeders. They give a large amount of milk for their size. And I tell you what, I was raised on Jersey. Uh, sweet Jersey cream milk when I was a kid. And I will put this milk up against any Jersey any day for its sweetness, its creaminess. You know, some people talk about goat's milk being goaty. Uh, I have not had that problem. Uh, I'm sure some of that maybe have to do with the particular breed or what, or what they're eating possibly, but uh, I have not had that problem at all. Um, uh, Neither in the milk or, or or the meat as well. And those those meat sticks that you that I sent you, yep, those were not made from young prime uh, weathers. You know, a weathers is a castrated buck, so they would typically not be as goaty. The 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 bucks. One of the downsides, and I'll get to that in a little bit later on, is yeah, they do smell because the way that they they when they're uh, in the rut. They'll piss all over themselves, and that's the perfume that the does like. So you can have a buck that smells. In August, when you've got one that's been pissing on himself, they can be pretty stinky. But that meat was made for some, from some older, those meat sticks from some older bucks, and if that was... If that meat was good enough for those meat sticks and you didn't taste any off flavor... No, none. I know that they're fairly highly seasoned anyway, but... That's about as, as bad a combination as you can get, and the results I thought were pretty fantastic. Gotcha, man. So, is there any other things about them that kind of makes them special, or the goat that you know really is ideal for homesteaders? Well, just the fact that you know they're they're exactly what you're looking for uh, in a home breed. They, 
there's so much you can do with the milk, and I'll get into that later. And the you know the bucks that you have, uh, if you if you don't plan on selling them uh, as breeding stock, uh, they're the meat uh, is fantastic. Uh, so it kind of provides the the best of both worlds, and they're small enough, they're smaller, so they're more efficient in in what they eat for what they give you back. They're uh, easier to handle, and generally they've got a you know, my buck, you know, people talk about some of their bucks being uh, aggressive. My buck, you know, he'll stand there when he's, when he's eating and I'll just scratch his ears and, and scratch his withers and he just, he's just a big baby. Hmm. So they're, they've got a good temperament and they provide both aspects, uh, qualities that uh, homesteaders, I think, are looking for. One of the things I found when I did some research on them, and often you find that maybe research doesn't stand up against somebody actually doing it, but seemed legit and popped up in a bunch of places, was that they uh, they throw a lot of kids. Like, you know, it's really common for goats to maybe have twins, but the kinders often throw triplets or even quadruplets. So your production's pretty high on the meat side. Is that Have you noticed that to be the case? I think that, you know, your, your mileage on that's going to vary. Okay. Um, my first cross between my, uh, 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 African pygmy and a Nubian, I had quads. That was my first experience with it all together, you know, four at one time. Mm-hmm. And she raised all four of them. You know, uh, I have had, you know, my regular, uh, kinder, uh, does. I've had generally twins or triplets. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to have, you know, Quads, or you know, some people even have—I don't know what you call when you have five—but but, uh, but uh, you know, they are generally um, more more productive in that aspect. Most production breeds, like the boar goat, uh, the, the the standard meat breed, the the standard pretty there is pretty well twins. But but you're right with kinders, you you may experience having you know more frequently triplets or quads. So that's that's a definite advantage because they transition pretty rapidly from, um, uh, you know, from nursing to, uh, to eating grain and hay on their own. So that, that weaning period can be fairly short. Then you've got kids that can, you can go ahead and grow out, uh, on, on feed on their own. And you've still got, uh, the, that dough that, that's, uh, that's uh, producing milk, and you can, like I said, you know, I told you that they they do provide milk for a fairly long time. Uh, their milk will production will decrease as that as that lactation period uh, increases. But there's been people that have milked their their nanny goats for a- actually a couple of years without having to rebreed them because just, they just kept producing milk. I haven't I haven't experienced that because I feel like you know I need to give the does a break yeah and, and get get them rebred so that I can go on with the next generation but uh, yeah, you're right having a, a higher number of kids is definitely an advantage. Cool man, um, what about the statement that like goats will eat anything tin cans etc. They can be really destructive. Well, the, the, they can be destructive, and like I talked about before, they're they're browsers. They're they're some some uh, breeds have kind of been, I guess, uh, developed into more grazers. My brother raises boar goats, and he has his uh, in in basically pastures uh, with almost predominantly grass, but that's not their preferred uh, uh, 
feed, you know, they, they would prefer, you know, a, a mixture of stems and, and like we talked about for the, uh, a lot of the, uh, invasive weeds and, and they can be destructive. I usually, my goats live in the barn and I, I feed them a ration of grain and pellets and, and hay and on a, just generally daily, I'll take them, I call it a forage walk. I'll take them out into the woods and just let them browse and, and get some leaves and get some stems. And invariably, uh, if given access, they will run. They won't walk. They will run to whatever it is you don't want them to eat. <laughs> and, and they will. I've got a couple of crepe myrtle trees uh, in the path where I take the goats. And as soon as I let them out, the whole herd just, you know, my, my herd is four right now. They thunder over there as fast as they can. And you're they're It's so funny. They're just eating just as fast as they can. And I'm running over there like a maniac, hollering, "Get away from there! Get away!" And, and you finally get there and shoo them off, and they look up at you with those with those eyes, like, "What? What? I didn't do anything." Yeah, I'm just being a goat. But they, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, they they are given the opportunity. They'll they'll run your garden. They'll run your landscape. Uh, they will definitely ruin your fruit trees. They will eat your fruit trees down to a nub and eat the bark off of them. That's that's why they have to be contained, either that or you have to have a, uh, a landscape that, that caters to them and doesn't really provide anything available to them that you don't want them to eat. But as far as eating anything, they, they're not going to eat tin cans. They're, you know, and, and they are fairly picky eaters. People have told me that uh, uh, turnips are the goat's favorite food. Well, I raised turnips a couple years ago, and I couldn't get my goats to touch them. Huh. Of course, my girls are all—they're pretty spoiled and yeah, and they're—they're they're definitely not hungry. Do you know why they wouldn't uh, eat them? You wanted them to. Yeah. Probably. If you didn't want them to eat them, that you wouldn't even had to pull them or anything. Just let them go. They would have just grazed them to the ground and dug them up. <laughs> Something else they love: grapes, grapevine. Grapes. Huh? If you've got a grape arbor, if they get time on those grapes, they will gnaw them to the ground. So, yeah, they can be destructive, but, you know, they, they have to be contained or you just have to plan for, you just have to know the nature of the goats. Hmm. So, you kind of talked, talked about this already, but another thing is the stinkiness of bucks, the aggressiveness of bucks. Um, you have a buck that's pretty chill, like, is there a way to manage that? Is that common with kinders that they're kind of chill and i guess no matter what they stink well their their stinkiness is you you just kind of have to accept that as 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 part of the plan you're not going to go out there and and hug the guys when they're in rut just just like you know you've been out you've hunted deer and you can and you've got a you know there's a buck coming because you can smell him before he gets there in the rut definitely absolutely yeah and, and these guys are the same way, but it's, you know, the rest of the year, they're fine. Uh, and as far as being aggressive, um, I've, I have not found that problem with kinders. And most people that I know that raise kinders have not had an issue with that at all. I guess another um, option would be, like, keep only does. And, um, you know, if you have a neighbor that keeps goats or something, like somebody not too far away, stud in your males when you need them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if you've got... Neighbors that will uh, you can you can work with, 
this also helps uh, to maintain, you know, d- diversity in the genetics. If you've got somebody that's got, you know, a, a completely different bloodline that you can either take your doe over to their buck or you can bring their buck over to your does, that's a, a very a very good relationship. Uh, and it works out very well when, when you've got people uh, that are, and most people are, are, are small, you know, homesteaders are very uh, uh, inclined to do that because it benefits them as well. You can also uh, use uh, artificial insemination. You know, I, I artificially inseminate my cows using the, when I'm doing my, uh, uh, the Wagyu semen on those. But, uh, and you can do the same thing with goats. Okay. However, uh, availability of semen is not nearly, nearly as, as prevalent. And it costs about the same amount, um, you know, 50, you know, from 35 to $75 a straw for the semen uh, for the goats as well as the cattle. So it's, it's, more, it's more expensive for the size for the goats, and it's not as well established, and it's not as effective. Usually the effective rate for artificial insemination on cattle is if you get 60%, you're doing pretty good. In goats, it's probably a lot lower. It's probably about 40%. So it's not nearly as common as uh, AI is with cows. Gotcha. So the last thing is, you know, if you can't borrow a buck, you don't do artificial insemination. You have to have a buck on your property at least during the rut, at least during the time that you want to breed. And, and then a lot of people will buy a buck just to get their herd bred and then, and then immediately turn around and, and sell it. Uh, so that they don't have to deal with him feeding him all year. But, uh, you know, then you've got the same issue next year. But as far as aggressiveness, one thing you don't want to do uh, with any buck is you don't want to play fight with them. Yeah. You know, if, if, you, if you're scratching behind the ears and he's getting that head going, trying to trying to butt your, butt your hand and, and backing up and paw on the ground, just stop it. You don't want to... Uh, you don't want to incite that kind of behavior. Uh, and, and if you've got a buck, you know, I had a, I'm a member of a goat club and I, there was a lady that was talking to us. She said, I've got this buck. He's just absolutely beautiful. He, he's big. He throws beautiful kids. He said, uh, but he's almost killed me twice. He's got me down. And I, if my husband wasn't there, he probably would have killed me. And, and we're sitting there with our, our jaws dropping and said, why would you keep a buck like that? That's true. And too. even if you kept him, why would you in why would you introduce those genetics in the bloodline? Mm-hmm. When you've got a bad animal like that, put them on a truck, ship them to market, get rid of them. Do not breed those into your bloodline because all you're doing is 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 breeding those kind of characteristics uh, that you do not want. It's the same thing with chickens. I mean, I had a rooster that I went out and let the chickens out. He spurred me in the back of my leg. He was hanging from an oak tree about 25 seconds later. Like, yep. I don't need you as much as you need me, and it's time for freezer camp. Like, And I think that's true with any trait that is something detrimental to your herd, your flock, whatever you're doing. Overly aggressive, uh, prone to disease, injury, illness, whatever. Get it out of there, you know, because it doesn't do yeah. you any good. Yeah, I understand completely. And I had the first, the first, um, 
goat that I bought was a, a Nubian female, and she was so sweet, and I just loved the heck out of her. She, but she had a chronic mastitis, mm. and I couldn't get her over it. I doctored her and doctored her, and and uh, the uh, the the president of our club, she's a very experienced goat vet, and I was talking to her. I said, "What can I do?" And she said, "Are you running a charity?" And I said, "Well, no, I'm not running a charity." She said, "Well, put the damn goat on a truck." Yeah. And yeah. I did broke, broke my heart, but I know it was the right thing to do. And that's those are the decisions. As a uh, you know, anytime you're dealing with livestock, those are decisions you're going to have to make. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. Is pets live in your house, cuddle up in your bed. Livestock sometimes ends up on a plate. And you, yep. you don't <laughs> be careful with naming things, man. The more you name something, the more you get attached to it. Um, so. What about containing them? Like one thing you said, I completely agreed with. If you let them loose, the thing that you most want them to stay away from, they will run to it. So how how do you contain your goats? Well, there's several ways. In, in my instance, you know, mine are, are, are generally barn raised. So and, and they're so fat and happy and well fed that they don't they don't try to escape. They don't try to get out. They don't try to jump over. I've had other people talk about their goats. They said, well. If you got a fence that water can get through, goats can get through. Mm. And there's a couple of methods to, to prohibit that. First of all, when you get new goats, um, make sure you have your facilities well prepared to begin with. If you put them in a facility where, you know, you, you've just kind of kludged it together and, and with, you know, baling twine and, 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 you know, pieces of fencing and, and they can get out once they realize they can get out. Yeah, they over. will get out. Yeah. So the best thing to do is make sure you're well prepared. And using electro netting, you'll have to train your goats to, to electro netting or electric fencing as well. That can be very effective. And it's one thing that's one of my goals is to to train mine to an electro net. That way, I can take one of these electro nets out into the woods. Take them out there for the day, set it up, put them in there, let them browse and, and uh, whatever they want to do all day, and then I can take them back into the barn that night and not have to worry about uh, you know predators and such, and make sure that they've got shelter. But I can, I, you can easily move that on a regular basis to give them access to uh, to new areas. Uh, welded wire fence uh, is is very good. Uh, just make sure that you haven't left any. Any gaps underneath where they can crawl under, because they certainly will, uh, and make sure that it is high enough and tight enough that they can't jump over it. My girls, you know, the one of the advantages of the smaller stature of these goats is they physically can't jump as high as a full-size, like a full-size Nubian goats. You know, if, if once they stretch out, if they're if they're browsing a tree, it's amazing how high they can reach, mm-hmm. and. Some of these, some of these goats are tremendous leapers, but I, I just haven't had the problem with that. Uh, but you know, you know, welded wire fencing, good tight, tight to the ground, uh, works well. Uh, also, for my paddocks, I have had good luck using the uh, the goat and sheep panels that you can get at Tractor Supply. Uh, they're welded wire with a four-inch mesh, at 48 inches tall and 16 inches long. Your goats are not going to get out of that. And you can you can either tie that together with uh, with T posts in the corners, 
or at, at, at junctions where they meet, or you can put that inside a another structure. I've had good luck with that. Uh, another method, my brother uses high tensile fencing. He, like I said, he raises boar goats, and, you know, he, uh, I forget exactly how many of those wires he has electrified. But, you know, once they have become accustomed to those electrified uh, fencing uh, options, as long as the electricity is on, they're pretty much going to leave it alone. They'll learn their lesson and, and leave it alone. So even though with the with the, uh, the strands wide wide enough that conceivably, you know, without the electricity on, they could they could stick their hip through there and stick through these wide these uh, high tensile wires, these bare wires, and, and and get out. You know, have enough of them electrified where it, it it trains them to stay back from the fence. So those are my three three or four recommendations. Is Electro netting, good welded wire fencing, the the goat and sheep panels, or high tensile uh, uh, fencing with electrified strands. And if you do that, you know they're they're a lot easier to contain. For people, people with the bring, for, for people with space, I, I really and I, I guess this company just like doesn't understand it's 2020, um, and that like having a website's easy. But I think the company's actually called Sheep Tractor Company, and they're um, eight foot, it's well to wire fence panels with like a pipe frame, fairly large tires, like something that would be on a, uh, a small tractor, standard, you know, slide gate that was, you know, I would put electrical on it, you know, um, may work really well. I, I mean, they are made for sheep. Goats can climb way better than sheep, but I was really impressed with that system when I saw it at Mother Earth News. I've been trying to find their website, and even mm-hmm. their vendor profile on the Mother Earth News site just says cheap tractor, no link. So I don't know that you would need to buy from them anyway. It looks like if you knew how to weld, you could build one of these in an afternoon. It's like a two-beer job. So that would be something to look yeah. into. And I I got a video of it I haven't watched because I'm not going to watch a video while you're talking. But uh I'll put a link to that where people can see what I'm talking about. So I think that would be worth looking at too. Yeah, it sounds like that would be a good option. Uh, the only thing I would worry about is, is, you know, is at the bottom where the tires are going to have that offset from the ground to make sure that gap's not big enough, either that or have one strand of electric at the bottom. So when they get nosing around the bottom of that gap, they get they get zapped, so they leave that alone. Yeah, yeah, it's about six inches, and I can just imagine most goats can probably squirrel under six inches. Yeah. Now, what I've seen, and it's not on this one, but what I've seen done with a lot of these systems like this is basically some sort of hydraulics where, like, when you want to move it, the wheels go down, it moves, and then it lowers the body and raises the wheels. So that would be another way to fabricate something like that. I yeah. saw it was like eighteen grand, by the way, though. But I saw one for chickens that worked that way at Mother Earth News. But it was like, you as a chicken farmer, you could sit in your office with your iPhone and, and drive this and drive this chicken tractor like a like a rumba. Like it knew like once you programmed in the pattern, it did it itself, and it didn't move a full move. It would move like a third, a third, a third during each day. It automated the food. Like, you could set this thing, and you could go away for two weeks, and your chickens were taking care of water, food, everything. But my concern with it was, you know, that's really great, but and as big as it was, you could raise a lot of chickens with it, but, boy, I 
see a long time before you got 18 grand out of it. But oh yeah, it is showing you where we're headed with some of the things we can do. You could pre-program rotational grazing right into that. That's exactly what it did. It had an app, so you didn't even have to know how to program. You could just mark off sectors in your farm based on GPS, and it ran itself. Once it was set, you literally had to do nothing except it, it, it ran enough feed and water for like a two-week period. So all you had to do is once every two weeks, like fill your feed and water back up. That was, it was it was pretty impressive, but you know, eighteen again, eighteen grand. That's a lot of chickens. <laughs> Sounds like that would you, that would kind of require fairly smooth level ground as well. Um, smoothish. I mean, these were big tires, and chickens learn pretty quick. You know, when they hear the wheels going down and getting ready to move it, like I need to move. And every farmer I've ever talked to does chicken tractors has crushed a chicken or three anyway. Like, it happens. It's just part of the thing. Yeah. Dumb ones don't make I can, it. I, I can attest to that personally. I built my first chicken tractor last year, and, and the bottom structure is at a four-inch PVC. Okay. And I went out there to move it with my uh, with my lawnmower, and I just hooked it up, pulled it <laughs> forward about eight feet, looked back there, and there were four dead chickens. They'll yeah. stand there and just let that thing run right yeah. over. Yeah, that sucks. You know, what I always found is you throw feed in the front side, then they all run there. It just makes moving it easier, you know. Like, And then they like it takes them like a couple of days, and they're like, oh, we're moving. And they all run to this until you have to turn around and go the other way. Then it takes, then you know, it's a chicken. They're not that smart. But anyway, yeah. let's, let's well, one, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, let's get back on the goats, man. Um, so, Kenders. Can you make money with them, or are they really strictly a homestead proposition? Well, you can, uh, but if you think you're going to get rich raising goats uh, <laughs> on homestead situation, I got some beachfront property to sell you. Okay, and it's in Arizona. No. <laughs> <laughs> Most homesteaders are, you know, they're looking to make some vacation money maybe yeah. and to offset the expenses of what they're doing. Most people are not doing it to, for the profitability They're doing it because that's the lifestyle that they treasure. They want to be more self-sufficient. They want to know where their food's coming from. But if you can get it to pay for itself, yeah, you can definitely do that with Kinders because yeah. there are numerous options to make money. first obvious uh, option is just to take them to market. Uh, the, the market for goat meat right now in the U.S. is good and getting better. With you know, goat meat is very popular among ethnic communities. Uh, this past year, uh, goat prices at some points in time exceeded three dollars a pound, and that's library. So if you've got a hundred pound goat that you send to market, that's a three hundred dollar paycheck. You know, minus a few expenses and hauling fees and that type of thing. But that's that's really that's three dollars a pound live weight. You know, by the time You know, you talk about, you know, they dressed out 60%. That makes them pretty expensive meat by the time you get it to the table. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of people willing to pay it. And, you know, it's all a matter of supply and demand. So taking them to market is, is, is your, probably your primary option. Uh, the second yeah. option is sell, selling breeding stock. Yeah, that's what I was going to go to. It, especially with, with niche breeds like this that are very popular with, uh, with homesteaders. Uh, and, you know, it's new in the market. And, and just like from the research you did, 
if, if you were going to introduce uh, a multipurpose goat on your property, you this is probably a breed that you would take a hard look at. Yep. And the more the more demand is, uh, the more the prices for your breeding stock will go up. Uh, right now, for standard and and this is not you know champion quality stock for you know just decent breeding stock either bucks or does, and we're talking about you know weaning size up to a year old. You're starting out at 350 bucks. Wow. So that's not a whole lot more than than you would get for you know a market goat, but you know you don't have, if you're selling it do any work you know, shortly after. Yeah, if it's shortly after weaning, you don't have all that feed going into it either. Yeah, no, that's that. See, so what it makes me think of is when I had Nick Ferguson on about rabbits, and he was like, "Well, you can work really hard and sell 200 rabbits a year, or you can probably make about the same money, you know, without processing and sell 40 a year." Is breeding stock and make less gross I- income, but more profit because yep. you don't do anything. You just go, here's a breeder bunny, and you know that type of thing. I've had no problems reselling uh, my does. They're they're popular enough that, and you know, one of the things I'm going to uh, talk about, you know, before we leave is the uh, there's the Kinder Goat classified. Uh, page on Facebook that that lists Kinder uh, uh, goats for sale all across the country. Uh, obviously, with the bucks, you know, you just don't need as many bucks. You could, you you know, you need one buck for your herd, depending on how big your herd is. So, so I've had have had some problems selling uh, breeding stock bucks just because there, there's just not as many needed in the market. So, what I've decided to do. Uh, is, you know, generally you band them uh, to castrate them at about two months old. So what I have done and what I'm going to do going forward, I'll advertise those bucks as breeding stock with the caveat on the ad that, you know, this is only available until they're two months old, at which time they'll be banded. Mm-hmm. And then they're they're going to be market, market goats as weathers, unless right. somebody wants to buy them for a pet. So we've got market goats and we've got breeding stock. Uh, the next item is to sell goat products. Uh, you can sell, I'll get to the milk products. Let's talk about the meat products. Uh, you cannot sell, uh, and I guess maybe this varies from state to state, the cottage industry laws, but I can't have a goat slaughtered and, and sell it by piece, um, at a farmer's market unless that goat is processed under USDA uh, guidelines at a certified facility. Now, if somebody wants to buy a goat, I'll advertise a goat for sale, and they say, I want this goat slaughtered, uh, and I can say, okay, are you going to pick it up, and, or do you want me to drop it off? And, and they, can, they can send me a check. I can take the goat to the slaughterhouse. They can specify how they want the goat processed. And then they can go pick up the goat uh, uh, that's been processed, pay the processing fee, and without having to have it USDA inspected. And in fact, I've also had luck um, in catering to the ethnic communities. I don't live near a huge uh, metropolitan area here in Central Kentucky, but if you do, there are a lot of uh, ethnic groups that are interested in. Slaughtering that animal themselves, 
And sometimes they don't have the facilities to do that. I had good luck with uh, a group from uh, Nepal. I had a couple of young fat weathers. They came out here. They liked them. They said, well, can we butcher them here? And I've got 87 acres. I don't have any problem with that. Um, I added a premium uh, to the market value, you know, for the, for the trouble of doing that. Uh, and they came out here. They slaughtered them here. I provided them, you know, a table and a water hose. And the only thing I had to dispose of was, was feet, the hide, and, uh, and that was it. They took everything else with them. So, and that worked out pretty good. And that's, that's a way to get a premium, uh, on your meat prices. So, so let me uh, hold you up there just a second because this makes my mind churn. Let's say all I want is meat. That's all I want out of this. And I also like the idea of having an animal for a time that then goes away and gives me my time off like tractoring chickens. And I like the idea that this animal is going to improve my land. Does this mean there might be an opportunity for looking for, you know, two-month-old male surplus goats that just can't find a home kind of like roosters end up with, where I can get that animal cheap, feed that animal off my property along with some supplemental feed, raise that animal, slaughter that animal, and I'm done for the year type of thing. And, yeah. how, and how long would it take? Because that's a, that's a model with pigs. You get a, you know, a young pig that's a wean pig. In seven months, you got pork chops, and you're done until the next time you need more pork. How long yeah. does it take me to get a young goat to a size where it makes sense for me to slaughter it? Maybe not maximum size, because there's a point with any animal for meat that I can make this animal bigger, but my inputs now and my time is such that I'm probably at an optimal slaughter time. Yeah, your feed-to-meat conversion ratio drops after yeah. some period of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely people that do that all the time. That uh, they'll buy, generally they'll buy a weather because they don't want to deal with the uh, with the uh, urges of a of a buck. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know it, it's debatable. Some people say that weathers grow faster than bucks because they're not worried about breeding. Uh, other people prefer an intact buck. You know, so it's just up to each person. But but yeah, generally uh, people will raise those up to be between eight months to a year. Uh, to get them to a good slaughtering size, uh, where they're still young enough and, and at their optimum tenderness, uh, but they're still big enough and, and have enough, uh, meat on them, uh, to, to be plump and, and, and worthwhile to take to the butcher shop or to butcher themselves. Gotcha. Now you're going to have to, you're going to have to throw a little bit of extra supplement to an animal that you're going to try to, to fatten out quickly. Sure. You know, some, some people are, have the mistaken idea that I can go to the stockyards and buy 10 any old goats and I can dump them in this pasture out here and never think about them again for six months. Then I can drive them all in, all these nice, fat, healthy goats, and have them slaughtered, and I've got a ton of, 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 of good, uh, rich uh, goat meat that I can consume or sell. You know, Nothing is quite that simple these <laughs> days, uh, but you know there's a lot of people that will that will buy a young, uh, recently weathered uh, uh, kid or even just a weaned kid, and you know banding these guys is not a problem at all. You know you just pick them up, turn them on their back. You've got these rubber band spreaders. Basically, you put the, these rubber bands around their little testicles, and uh, it it, it uh, 
cuts off the blood circulation. Eventually, they just, they just drop off. It's not, you know, they're they're kind of sad for a couple of days or days or so after you do it. But after that, they could care less. They don't know. No. So yeah, that's a, that's definitely a doable option, and a lot of people take advantage of that because, like you said, you don't have to mess with, you know, generally. Most people will kid in the spring, so by the following November-ish, you know, you've got a goat ready to be to be processed, and a lot of people, you know, like to have that that goat meat available for the uh, the holidays and such for their for their family get together. So it's it's kind of along the lines of time to to finish a turkey. It's it finishes in the late fall. You go into the holidays. You're done. And I don't have to do any more work on taking care of them until early spring when I can bring in my next batch. I yep, I like that model. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that model. Um, so well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the the other products. Uh, the milk, milk, cheese, yeah. yogurt. Oh, I love this goat milk. I tell you what, and and I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later. But the problem with selling milk products in most states. And some some states are more forgiving and, and lenient than others. Here in Kentucky, unless you have a USD certified dairy, you can't legally sell milk or milk products for human consumption. Now, for human consumption is the key point there. Yes, <laughs> I sell I sell a lot of goat's milk. Well, not a lot, but I have regular customers. I've got one guy. He raises. Uh, Squirrel hawk, squirrel, squirrel hounds. Okay. He's got these little dogs that, uh, and he must feed them a lot of goat milk because he buys a lot. And as long as he understands it's not for human consumption, you know, like you always talk about between me and you and the fence post. Yeah. Once that milk's at his house, his dogs may get some. He may not get it all, but that's not my business, and it's not the state's business. Now, I'm, I'm sitting here on Craigslist right now, a place in Denton, which is about 35 minutes from me. Uh, fresh, raw goat milk, no hormones, no antibiotics, no pesticide, no fertilizer, no corn, no soy, no wheat. Fresh water, not for human consumption. That said, we drink it. $15 a gallon, frozen, $5 per quart. Fresh, bring your own jar. Delish, tastes just like cow milk without filthy, af filmy after feeling. So, I mean, maybe that last line is... Gilding a little, a little more than you need to, but I think the rest of that ad reads really, really well. And there's always yeah. ways, like when we were running the farm in West Virginia, we had it was cow milk, but it was raw milk. And West Virginia has even put the kibosh on you can't sell it for pet food. Well, we said not for consumption by any being whatsoever. Great amendment for your fields. So we sold it as a soil amendment. There's always there's a, will, a way. There's, a way. there's always a way, and I can't tell you what to do with something you bought. You know, I mean, cool. You so, can also do uh, CSA or cost shares. Where, and I think I know you've talked about this before. Your audience probably knows where people buy shares of a goat. So, yep, it's your or goat. Whatever you so, have ownership of the yeah. goat, so you're not buying the milk. You're just getting your milk from your goat. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the uh, the other milk products, you know, a lot of people, you know, one way that people get around this is making goat goat lotions and soap, which are extremely popular right now in 
you know, craft stores and, and, you know, tourist spots and things like that. Uh, so there's more than one way to, uh, to, to, to make money. And, and, and the last, uh, I guess that covers all of them here, all the options or all the options that I had made notes for, uh, on making money. Oh, let me give you one more. Hold milk. on real quick before you go there. There's another, there's a genius, genius person selling milk on Craigslist. And you made me think of it when you said soap. Fresh goat for soap making, but been refrigerated since it was extracted. Would be suitable for drinking if that were permissible. This person, I bow to your genius in, in circumventing the law. Thank you for that. I mean, that's awesome. Anyway, please go ahead. <laughs> and one of the advantages of, of goat's milk, and I haven't, I haven't seen as good a result. You can freeze it and thaw it, and it's as good as the day you put it in the freezer when you thaw it back out. Tastes the same. It's not watery. It's not grainy. I did not know. And that. if you, if you, uh, if you just If you chill it immediately after you bring it in from the barn, it'll probably keep in your refrigerator for 10 to 14 days before it. It doesn't actually go bad. It starts to sour, but there's lots of uses for sour milk. And I, I, one of the one of the things I'll talk about in a little bit is, is making yogurt. And, man, I tell you what, this stuff makes some wonderful yogurt. I can confirm that because somebody brought me um, a half gallon of goat milk. And I made yogurt because I don't really drink milk. Um, it's not that I don't like it. It's that I want to convert it to something that's much more low in carbohydrate. And it made yep. freaking fantastic yogurt. I mean, it was. And then I made Lebna or you know yogurt cheese from the goat yogurt. It was yeah. the best goat or the best yogurt cheese I've ever made in my life. It, it really was. Well, it was amazing. Hey, I'll tell you, I was a little bit intimidated of making uh, the yogurt. Uh, it's one of those things until you get into it, and, and it is so easy. And I'll tell you in just a few minutes. And I use the carry canner that you recommend to do this. Okay. You put your you put your goat's milk in there uh, out of the refrigerator. Turn your carry canner or whatever it is. You turn it up on to, uh, to bring your temperature up quickly. You take it up to 180 degrees. You take the liner with the goat's milk put it in a sink full of cold water and cool that down as quickly as you can to 120 degrees. Okay. You take, you take an individual serve container of plain unflavored Greek yogurt, either Oikos or Giovanni or something like that. You whisk that in there to make sure it's fully combined. You pour that milk into quart jars, put that back into your carry canner, which is still warm. And if you've got empty, any empty spaces there, it'll hold four quarts. If you've got any empty spaces, put a quart of warm water in there, put the lid down, put a towel over it, let it sit for 24 hours. And, and you've seen the, uh, the, the Dairy Queen commercials where they took, take the, uh, the, 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 the ice cream and they hold it upside down. Yeah. And it won't come, won't come out of the cup. This yogurt, my experience has been, You can take those quart jars and turn them upside down, and they will not spill out. It is that thick and creamy. I love that. And then there's so much you can do with that yogurt at that point. You can you can make it savory, uh, like making a, uh, a ranch dressing dip out of it. You can make it sweet. You can add 
some granola and some raisins and a little bit of honey and eat it like you would for breakfast yogurt. You can make the uh, the goat's milk, uh, the goat yogurt uh, cheese out of it. And the one other thing that I've learned recently is is making uh, frozen yogurt. Mm. And, and that is drop-dead simple, too. You take equal parts chilled yogurt and frozen fruit. Frozen fruit of your variety doesn't have to be sweetened, unsweetened, doesn't matter. You put that in a food processor or a blender, blend it until it's smooth, add the sweetener of your choice, either honey or uh, stevia, granulated sugar, whatever you want, and whatever other flavorings you want, a few, you know, some sunflower uh, uh, seeds or uh, some raisins or whatever in there, uh, some cinnamon maybe, and and just stir that to combine it. And, oh, man, that is fantastic. It's smooth. It's creamy. Now, if you keep if you have leftovers of that, once you freeze that hard, it gets pretty hard and grainy. So I would recommend, you know, make it make it in the quantities that you're going to eat it. Either that, or you're going to have to kind of blend it back up again if you if you bring it out of the freezer and thaw it and and do it again. But it is, man, it is so easy. You know what you just made me think of, and I feel stupid I never did before. So I've done like a quick cheese. Um, using sous vide, you take one container inside the other container, and you have an exact precision temperature. You want 180 degrees, you give it 180 degrees. You push a button, and you get 180 degrees. Duh! You could do yogurt really easy with that too. That, yeah, I I I feel dumb because I've made cheese like that so many times. Like, why not make yogurt the same way? Absolutely. So that's cool. I never thought of using a carry canner for it either. That makes a lot of sense, too. Oh, it's so easy. All right. Now, uh, one thing we talked about a little bit before the broadcast, I know you're not a fan of liver. Mm -mm. Uh, and and generally, I, like, I'm, I do like uh, liver and onion. But here's a recipe that I found that is a completely different take on liver. And hopefully you'll try it. And if you don't like it, you know, you know, different strokes for different flow. Folks, but uh, this is called Vietnamese liver jerky, and it sounds like shit. Uh, but it is—it's—it's it's not jerky in the traditional sense of the word that we think of as like, you know, dried meat. You take your liver and you coat it in salt, okay, and let it sit for a few minutes. Then you rinse it off, coat it in salt again, okay, rinse it off. And then you slice it into quarter-inch slices or, you know, thin slices. Um, and then you add a half a teaspoon of dry chicken bouillon, one tablespoon of garlic powder, one tablespoon of onion powder, a half a teaspoon of crushed cloves, and you mix it well, and you let that set aside. Let that marinate a little bit. Then you take two tablespoons of, of hot vegetable oil, and saute uh, one tablespoon of garlic. Once that's uh, up to temperature, you add the liver. You add two-thirds of a cup of coconut water, two heaping tablespoons of hosin sauce. It's a, I think it's Chinese. It's a sweet, dark sauce, H-O-S-I-N. Yep. A half a, cup, a half a cup of teriyaki and two tablespoons of brown sugar. Now, you saute that until you've cooked that down to a thick, sticky gravy. Then you toss in about a tablespoon of sesame seeds and serve it over warm rice. 
It is excellent. It is sweet. It is salty. It's got a little bit of a chew to it, but it's not nothing like traditional jerky. It's a little bit firmer than, you know, than possibly regular liver. But you would think that you, meats like that, if you cook them too long, generally they get tougher than chew leather. But yeah. this, this doesn't come out that way. Well, I like the idea of the, the double salting because that's going to pull a lot of moisture and liver flavor out of the liver. I like yeah, that idea. Um, yeah, it pulls a lot of the spunk out of the liver. So how do you use these guys on your homestead? Like, do they help you improve your land and what have you? Well, I use the manure to, uh, to fertilize with, obviously, uh, and, and they're mostly in the barn. One thing that's, that's nice about goats is uh, – when when they you know when they poop it's these little pellets it's not like a cow where you've got this big plop of yeah liquidy crap that you can step in and it sticks to your shoe and you know you drag it all over the place and it's, it's just different you know it's more like you know how it is when you're out hunting and you see deer droppings yeah. little, that's the way goat pellets are and it's it's dry uh, generally, it's a lot drier. It's not, you know, it doesn't keep their stalls as uh, as wet in the barn. So I, I do that. Uh, I use them to try to eat down uh, my hedgerows, my fence rows. Uh, eat some of the uh, some of those uh, Japanese honeysuckle bushes that grow here everywhere. Uh, so between that and, uh, and and using the manure that's kind of the way I help I use them to help improve the uh, the farmstead gotcha man do you uh, do you have any kind of like a website or anything or a resource for people to learn more about all this I'm just a guy okay I don't have a website probably the best place for people to learn more about kinder goats is to go to the kinder goat breeders association website. It's www.kindergoatbreeders.com, and there's a lot of information on there. It'll also, there's a breeders list. A lot of the breeders have their own websites. Uh, if you want to go to some of these breeders and look at their websites, you know, a lot of these breeders, they're taking, you know, they're taking orders for kids, you know, a year, 18 months out that, you know, the people that want uh, kids from, from this particular farm, this particular bloodline. So there's a lot of information out there. Uh, like I said, the Kinder on Facebook, the, uh, the Kinder Goat Classifieds page is a place to, uh, to look uh, at goats that are for sale. Uh, if you become a member of the Kinder Goat Breeders Association, you get a quarterly newsletter, which is helpful. That uh, um, usually there's a lot of good information. There was a really good article in in one about two years ago about making uh, butter, which is one thing I didn't touch upon because butter is a little bit uh, since the milk doesn't separate the cream and the milk doesn't separate as as readily as cow's milk does. It's hard to most people use a mechanical cream separator. And those, that equipment is generally expensive and fairly difficult to clean up. And unless you've got a, a fairly substantial quantity, if I had five gallons of goat cream, yeah, it'd make a whole lot of deal. But if you got a quart of goat cream, eh, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So that's one thing I really haven't addressed. But that's, uh, 
The other thing is for goats in general, there are several publications and websites out there and forums. You know, this day and age, there's no excuse not to be able to learn stuff. There's never been an easier time to learn new stuff. The YouTube videos are available. Anything you want to know. You just have to be a little bit careful because there's some, some goofy crap out there that you, you know, people that don't know what they're talking about will, will put stuff out there. Generally, if there's something I'm trying to learn, I'll look at four or five different uh, YouTube videos. And if they're trending along the same uh, message, I kind of accept that as, as fact. Uh, but another way to, to learn more about uh, goats is to check your I don't know if most other states have county extension offices. Ours is, is uh, extension offices tied to the University of Kentucky, and they provide agricultural support and education. And they would be able to probably provide you with uh, uh, organizations or, or seminars or training classes in your area. Uh, I'm a member of a, of a goat producers club here local, and that is one of the easiest ways to learn a new skill is to hang out with people that already know how to do it. Absolutely. You know, it, you, you're able to bypass a lot of common mistakes. If you've got questions, uh, you know how it is. When you ask somebody about something that they love doing and that they're, they're invested in, it's almost like you can't shut them up. So they will share all their secrets, all their information, you know, that they've learned over the years, help you avoid mistakes, help you be successful, you figure out why not so the resources are out there for for kinder goats for goats in general and basically for for anything new that you want to learn okay and i think one of the most important things you said during this whole thing and it bears repeating here at the end infrastructure first i think that like absolutely people get in trouble all the time with that with something as simple as some chickens or ducks or whatever But if you get a dozen chickens and you don't have a really great coop, you can pretty easily get by until you figure out what to do. I don't recommend it, but you're not going to hate your life. If you get a freaking goat and you don't have the infrastructure in place, you might as well just get a cheese grater and start rubbing it up and down your face instead of getting a goat. That's how you're going to feel. Like Get the infrastructure in place First, all of it. I don't know if you agree with that, but I'm betting you do. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree 100. I think the most most of the people that have had bad experiences with goats, they'll go to a. Uh, we have a, a huge chicken swap uh, here in our county, and people will go there and they'll see this cute little baby goat. And and, and one one uh, thing here I want to mention too is, you can't just buy one goat, and, and it, it's yeah. not like eating one Lay's potato chip. They are herd animals. Uh, if you only have one, they can become so lonely and so withdrawn, you can actually kill a goat by, mm. by keeping it in solitary. So if, you, if, you're gonna, if you're new to goats, plan on buying at least a pair, a mother, daughter, two sisters, anything like that. But don't buy a single goat. And if I, may, right, you know, if I may, I kind of feel like you really should at least consider three Because one of my things with animal husbandry and people that are new is you tend to... I think goats are one of the more resilient critters, but people do have a tendency to occasionally kill some the first time they go through it. So, like, if you got two and you lose one... Because I've had people come here and want to buy a duck, 
because they were smart enough to get two ducks, but then one duck dies. And and ducks yeah. are the, 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 the poultry version of a goat. They are miserable alone. You two? Fine. Yeah. Three? Great. A thousand? Fine. But one is a miserable animal, so yeah. I, I would consider maybe three. And I don't want to paint a uh, a picture of rainbows and butterflies here about goats. Okay. There is a lot there's a lot to learn. Uh, which is why you need to get hooked up with a group of experienced people, take some classes, watch some YouTube videos, uh, because they are they are very uh susceptible to uh uh parasites, uh internal parasites. Uh you also have to be able to trim their feet. You know, you, you've got to learn how to help them. Some some goats generally they don't require any help at kidding time. But if you have a, you know a breech kid, you know, you having a vet come out to your house can get expensive really quick. Yep. So the more you know, the more prepared you are, the more experienced people you can call pick up the phone and say, Hey, I'm having this problem, what do I do? The better off you're gonna be. But don't I don't want people to go into this thinking Hey, I can as long as I've got some decent fences, I can bring half a dozen goats in here and just throw them out there and never look at them again until I'm ready to, to milk one or, or take one to the market or have it butchered. You know, it's like anything else these days. It's whether it's raising bees or farming fish, everything has its own set of problems and 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 things that you have to be uh, uh, aware of to be successful. Well, I, I agree with that 100%, Roger, and I appreciate you being with us here today. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Well, it's been a pleasure. Good talking to you. Hopefully we can do it again. Great interview with a really cool guy, man. Um, I don't know that I'll be ranching goats anytime soon. I really don't. Um, I got a lot of stuff that goes on here, and I have limits to how much I can do. But I'll tell you what, um, if I was going to do it, I would definitely be looking into these kinder goats. I actually, uh, just today, uh, before we had Roger on, I got my turkey order in for the year. And I'll be producing um, 20 turkeys this year. And I'm doing broad-breasted bronze. I'm doing all females. Uh, and they'll net me around 30 pounds of dressed weight. So there's some bones in there. But, I mean, when you dress a turkey, most of your weight is meat when you're down to that carcass weight. Uh, and I get my females anywhere between 28 and 38 pounds at harvest. And again, that's, that's the meat weight. That's meat and bone weight. You know, that's, that's dressed weight. And, uh, if you're interested, uh, it's, it's a long way out to the fall, but I do sell them every year if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, every year that I, I didn't raise any last year, but every year I have to raise them and I, I'm, I do a list. And the way it works is people come out here, you know, kind of like Roger was talking about with the goats, but I don't, I don't do anything. Because I make a stupid good price for pastured turkey that's you know fed nothing but uh, the best feed. What I do is you come here and get your turkey, and you can either process it yourself or you take it to a processor. I'll tell you a guy in Weatherford that does them, and you get your bird processed, and then you weigh it, and then on the honor system you pay me per pound. And I haven't decided what I'm going to charge yet, but if you're interested, they go pretty fast, and that's going to be my meat yield this year. And the way I look at it, if I do, you know, four turkeys for us, that's going to be around 120 pounds of meat. That's a pretty good yield. So if you were li li listening to this thing, you're like, I really like this meat yield thing, but goats and all, I don't know. 
Look at a broad-breasted bronze turkeys. I got mine from Meyer Hatchery. I've been using cackle. I really like cackle hatchery, but they're not doing the turkey sex anymore. And my experience with gobblers is they can go psycho. So I have gone to doing all hens. And also, I don't feel that I need 55-pound turkeys anymore. And I do mean dressed weight. You're talking about a bird that's about 65 to 70 pounds alive. And they're just bigger than I need to have. So I've gone all females. That's what I'll be selling this year. And uh, something you can think about. Anyway, let's talk about a, a way you can help support this show. One way you can help support us, and it's a really easy way. Just do your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. No matter what you buy, if you start there, you help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. It doesn't cost you anything, a couple, couple extra minutes to go there first. But I always have our items of the day that you can check out. They're always things that I use, and today is, is, is a perfect example of that. I'm bringing these around. I brought them around a little over a month ago, and I'm bringing them around again today because I just had a progress report for you on them. They are the Easy Garden Tunnels by Tierra Garden. And these are, you can get them in four different varieties. There is what's become my favorite for the winter, the fleece. I also did a poly, which is a plastic, more like greenhouse. And you can see the video I put out today comparing the fleece and the poly, that the fleece seems to really work better for me in my climate. You might need poly in your climate, but that's to extend your season or to grow early. And it's all winter crops I'm growing right now, like lettuces and bok choy and stuff like that, uh, doing really good under them. There's also a micro mesh, which really is for, you know, your other three seasons, your late spring through fall. And it's more to keep pests off, but all of them are useful for that. And then there's a net that's more of a shade net. And this is, if you know, you like a big greenhouse and all, you can't afford it, but you garden. Basically, you bring the greenhouse to your garden. And these things are just awesome. Uh, I really encourage you to check them out and check out the video I put out today. This is what's cool about the video I put out today. It doesn't just show the difference between the poly and the and the and the uh, the, the, the the fleece. I also show some uh, mostly purple bok choy that I'm growing in some of my wicking beds in my aviary that I've reconfigured, and they're not getting any protection at all. They actually look a little bit better than what's under either the fleece or the poly. Why? Because the fleece and poly are on brand new beds that just had a bunch of compost and topsoil thrown in them. They haven't been managed for a year. So even without the protection, the managed soil, the intensively managed for a season soil, it is outproducing the stuff with protection. Imagine when you put that together. And I just think the whole thing's really interesting. So it's probably worth taking a look. And if you're like, man, I wish I didn't have to go to the site and look this up and try to find it, especially since I'm listening to this show three days after it was published, get on the Daily Mail, man. Go, to, go by the survivalpodcast.com. Click on subscribe. Fill out a form. It's just your name and your email address. You'll get one email a day in text with everything that's new that day, and you'll get nothing else from me. Occasionally there's a special announcement or something like that, but pretty much I send one email a day. And, guys, I've been doing this 12 years. I've never sold or shared anybody's name or information. Why would I give my competitors your information or access to it? It's not happening. You know you can trust me. Uh, we've been doing this, again, a long time, over a decade together, and I've never, never violated that and never will. So if that's why you don't subscribe to things, don't hesitate to subscribe the Daily Mail, the survivalpodcast.com, click subscribe. With that, let's wrap things up with the song of the day. And as I said today, we're kind of really talking about homesteading, even though we talk about goats, because we're talking about homestead goats. That's one part of homesteading. And I was looking for a song that kind of fit that. There's not a lot of songs about homesteading. And this one really isn't about homesteading, but it is called Homestead in My Heart. 
And it's about eventually having that homestead. And it's really, you know, one of, like I said before with other musicians, almost every musician that makes it over time writes a song about being on the road. This song's really about being on the road and the promise that I'm giving, I'm going to give you a homestead in my heart, honey, but eventually you're going to get the place to settle down that I've always promised you. And it is by a band called Sawyer Brown. Now, the lead singer of Sawyer Brown is Mark Miller, and this band was actually originally called the Mark Miller Band. They went to Sawyer Brown as a, a, a band name because it just, I guess, sounded better. The interesting thing about Sawyer Brown, I think it's interesting anyway, they're really the only success story that ever came off of Ed McMahon's Star Search. I think they won the second season or came in second place the second season, something like that, and they made it really big. I mean, they're not... They're not Garth Brooks big, but, I mean, these guys don't hurt for I promise you, Mark Miller has the homestead now. And so I just thought that was interesting to point out. But the other thing I wanted to do is just kind of, like, expose you to a song you probably never heard. You know, they had some big hits. They had The Walk, which was a really great song, uh, Step That Step, and they had a bunch of other hits. This song was never a hit. It's even on their official channel. I think it has less than a 1,000 listens or views, right? So it's one that people don't really know, but it is a pretty, pretty song. Um, it's just really pretty, and it's one of those songs that when you listen to it, you go, I don't even understand how this wasn't a hit. came out in 1992, and personally, I like Sawyer Brown. I'm not a huge fan or anything, but I like him. I've never heard this song till today. So hopefully I've got a new one for you, and hopefully it fits the type of thing we're talking about today. And I also say that I know there's a lot of you out there that you dream of that homestead someday. And this song, even though it's kind of more, you know, more of a romantic version of things, you build it in your heart, you create that vision, and eventually you find your way to it. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Well, it seems that we've been running for my past. Life never gave us time to settle down And you question whether frightened love can last And that old highway song is just not where it's at The trees roll by and the white lines hold me back Built to Denver, there's something that they all lack. So until we find a place to make a new start, I will build you a homestead in my heart. Well, I'm looking at you. Sleeping across the seat In the white of the trucks Filling up my ears All the highs and lows Left somewhere in between All those one night stands Between Dallas and New Orleans But I can't for much except for love. The local guitar, 